Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I'm Andy. Uh, not Andy Lau, I wish, uh, but Andy Ng. So I usually pastor at the Mandarin service. Uh, we meet at 6, uh, 5 p.m. every Saturday. Uh, so it was yesterday. So if any friends, uh, Mandarin-speaking uh, family or friends, we want to come and visit us, uh, do bring them uh, to here uh, Saturday, 5 p.m. Uh, so I, I do enjoy fellowship with you guys. I do enjoy coming here to preach. Uh, but it is hard. So I told myself that I'll try to come at least once a year. Uh, so I'm very happy that this morning I met my minimum quota. So thank God. Um, before I continue, can I pray uh, for us again as we look into God's word? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for gathering here together. Uh, help us now, Father, uh, to pay attention to your word, uh, to listen not just with our head, but with our heart, uh, that we may once again uh, receive this gospel of grace, uh, that we may uh, be willing uh, to sacrifice and to serve you joyfully. We pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Everyone seeks for something when they come to church. What do you seek for when you come to a church service? Uh, for some people, they come here for individual experiences, looking for some inspiration, or maybe looking for some liberation. Or they come here simply to increase their knowledge of God, uh, of so-called the truth. Uh, therefore, for people who look for individual experiences, uh, they prefer not to have too much interaction uh, with other churchgoers. Uh, if other people come and greet them and ask them too many questions, or try to know about their personal life, uh, maybe they'll try to avoid it. Uh, but, some but for some people, uh, it may be the exact opposite. Uh, they come to church so that other people may notice them. Uh, they hope that people will care for them. They want others to know about their personal struggle. And so for them, uh, when, they, when no one takes the initiative to, to come to know them, to care for them, uh, they will feel disappointed. They will feel bitter. Uh, this morning, I want to say that the truth is that both of these different expectations are quite inadequate. Uh, both of these attitudes, I think, require some fine-tuning. I think often we only think from our own perspective. We think about what we want, what we need. Uh, but the truth is that we need a different perspective, a higher perspective that is outside of us, that can really help us. Uh, and this perspective is given to us by God in the Bible. And so in today's passage, in the letter to the Philippians, Paul touched on these two attitudes. Uh, he wants to give us a, a gospel perspective. Paul shows us that both Epaphroditus and Timothy have a heart for Christ. He wants to show us that for the sake of the work of Christ, both Epaphroditus and Timothy are to visit the Philippians. Why he is to visit them? Because he wants to show concern for the Christians there. And then in return, he tells the Philippians that they should respond positively to these two brothers, reminding them that everything that these two brothers do are for their own good. Before we look in depth into the passage today, let me provide some background, some context. Uh, if you are familiar with the book of Philippians, I've been going along with us so far, uh, you realize that this section is quite different right, in tone, in the content. Uh, but apart from that, this, this passage, this section is quite important. Uh, it plays a special function. It gives us a lot of specific, concrete details about what is happening at that time, the situation, the circumstances surrounding when Paul wrote the letter to them. So I'll summarize it in the beginning. So from this passage, we know that when Paul was in prison in Rome, 
It was the Philippians Christians who first sent Epaphroditus to help Paul. Uh, mainly, he goes there to bring supplies and money to Paul to help him who is in prison. And on his way to help Paul, on the way to Philippi, from Philippi to, to Rome, he became very ill. And now that Epaphroditus has finally recovered by the grace of God, Paul then plans to send Epaphroditus back to the city of Philippi. And the main reason for him to send him is to bring his letter and instructions for the Philippians. Uh, what most likely happened is that when Epaphroditus first arrived, he was told Paul about the disunity, the problems that happens in the Philippi church. Uh, therefore, in response, Paul has some exhortations for them. And Epaphroditus is the message bearer. It's a letter bearer. Uh, but not only will Paul want to send Epaphroditus, but after sending Epaphroditus on a later date, he also planned to send Timothy to visit them. Uh, there are two reasons uh, for this. Uh, the first is to inform whether Paul has been freed from the prison, whether he has been declared not guilty of the Roman law. And the second reason, which I think is the main reason, uh, is to find out the response of the Philippians towards Paul's letter. You know, when he brings the exhortation, uh, to see whether later on they follow Paul's exhortation, whether they once again uh, be of united uh, in one spirit. And then finally, Timothy is to return to Paul in Rome to report back what he sees in the Philippi church. And then finally, with some effort in the animation, uh, Paul will finally, okay, then he hopes to visit them in person. And this is just a summary of what is happening. And all this actually is provided by these few verses. Uh, I'll give you a summary here, but later as we go through verse by verse, and I'll show you exactly which verse, which phrase give us this information. Uh, but maybe from the outside, I also want to say that uh, this, I think, uh, these are the best guesses of Paul's intention in sending them. Some of you who may be very sharp, will be studying a lot, you might say that some of these things that I said, are not straight out of the text. There are some things you need to fill between the gaps to know Paul's exact intention. So I admit that those are not exactly 100% that we are sure, but these are, I think, the best guesses. Okay? Uh, these are the most likely scenario. This is the most likely one. And one final thing about the context. Uh, we know that in chronological order, right, in real life, Paul will first send Epaphroditus, and then he will send Timothy. But for some hard-to-explain reason, he mentioned Timothy first, right? And then Epaphroditus. Why? It is hard to explain, so I won't explain. I really, it's, it's really be a long answer. Uh, but to simplify our, our understanding of the text, to simplify the story uh, for the sake of clarity, we'll just first look at uh, the verses regarding Epaphroditus. So we'll first look at verses 25 to 30, and then we'll look at the verses regarding Timothy, verses 19 to 24. So for the first main point of the sermon, uh, so we look at Epaphroditus. Here we see an example of the one who will risk his life for Christ. So in verse 25, Paul says, uh, he says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. And he emphasized your messenger and your minister to my need. Here Paul mentioned that Epaphroditus is the Philippians minister for the sake of Paul's need. Like I said earlier, uh, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to meet Paul's need in prison, right? To meet his need. And if you see in verse chapter 4, verse 18, it says here that I've received full payment and more. 
I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So we see how he filled out uh, the information. Uh, like I said, uh, the gifts that Epaphroditus uh, sent brought was most likely money. Uh, why do Paul need money in prison, you would think? Uh, it's actually to use the money to buy food for himself. Uh, you have to know that in ancient times, when you're in prison, they don't provide food for you. You have to depend on your family and friends to send to you. Or you have to pay for your own food. You know, we know in Malaysia that, you know, the, our prison food in Sungai Bolo in Indonesia is, you know, is notorious for being poor quality, right? But back in Paul's time, it's even worse. They don't even have poor quality food. Uh, you have to pay for yourselves. Uh, that's why Paul was very thankful for the gifts uh, that was given by the Philippians through Epaphroditus. And then in verse 26, uh, we see the information uh, that he became very ill and how God had mercy on him and then he recovered. Not only that, uh, Paul said, God have mercy on me also. Because think about it, if, if Epaphroditus were to die for Paul's sake, this dear brother would care for him. It would be devastating. It would be a lot of sorrow. So God have mercy on Paul also, so that he may not have sorrow upon sorrow. But here we also see another information. Uh, we see that uh, when Epaphroditus became sick, the people back in Philippi heard about it as well. Right? See? And he, he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So the people back there heard that Epaphroditus became ill. You know that back then at that time, even if you have a high fever, most likely you will not survive. You will die. You do not have Panadol. So you can imagine how worried these friends and families of Epaphroditus that he was ill. Most likely they think that he will pass away without any news for him. So now that Epaphroditus has recovered, He's now worried. He's now worrying for their worrying. You know what I'm saying? Imagine how if you are sick and then your family are worrying for you. Now you recover. You're worried. They're worried for you. You, you think that they might think you're dead. Then you want to go back and tell them. Uh, that is what is happening there. He has been distressed because he knew that you guys know that he was ill. See? And that is the first reason why Paul wants to send Epaphroditus back. To relieve them, both sides of their anxiousness. So how we see in verse 28. I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Right? Why? Because they're anxious. They are both worrying for one another. So the first reason is going back to say, hey, I'm okay, I'm well. By God's grace, I've recovered. And in this same verse, there's a second reason, which I say is a main reason. By sending a prayer for Titus back, it's also that Paul may be less anxious. So we understand why Epaphroditus will be less anxious, how their family will be less anxious, but what about Paul? Why is it that Paul will be less anxious by sending him back? Well, some of you may say that, you know, even some commentators say that maybe Paul is anxious about the same thing. He's anxious about their anxious thing, you know. Uh, but I don't think so. Uh, I think there's a second reason, a different reason that Paul is anxious about. But when Epaphroditus goes back, he'll be less anxious. Paul is anxious about the disunity among the Philippines Christians, like I said. We see this, this very clear in the earlier part of the letter. We see many times when he exhorted them not to think about their own interests, asking them to be united, to be in one mind. You have to know that the main reason why Paul even wrote this letter is because he is concerned about their disunity. Right? So with Epaphroditus bringing back his teaching, his exhortation, you make Paul less anxious about their disunity. 
because he knows that he has spoken to them and exhorted them what is the right thing to do. So I think that's the main reason for him saying, I'll be less anxious about your disunity. So now we've seen the reason for Paul in sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Uh, for the two reasons. And we, also saw, we also see how uh, Epaphroditus have served Paul, Paul very well, both in going to him and now going back to Philippi. So Paul now asks the Philippians to honor men like him. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Why did Epaphroditus risk his life? It is so that he could bring money to Paul to meet his needs. To meet the needs of the apostle who was so crucial for the spread of the gospel. Uh, who was so crucial in establishing churches everywhere. And then back in verse 25, remember Paul called Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. Why use the word fellow soldier? Because he is a soldier who is willing to lose his life, not for the sake of fighting a war, but for the sake of the work of the gospel of Christ, just like Paul. So here we have the first example of someone who has a heart for Christ, a Christian who is truly willing to lose his life for that. I think when it comes to risking one's life, it is indeed very difficult, isn't it? I think for most of us people here, uh, the only thing that we will risk our life for is actually our own life. <laughs> In other words, we won't risk our life for anything. Our life is truly the most important. Uh, that if we lose it, nothing else matters. Therefore, I think this morning, uh, it is important for us brothers and sisters in Christ, to be reminded that indeed the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth us losing our lives, worth us risking it. Jesus says in the gospel of Luke that whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Why is it that if one saves his life, he will lose it? It is because our life now is not forever, it's only temporarily. Not only that, our life here now is fallen. It is corrupted with sin and evil. And so those who hold on to this evil, corrupted, and temporary existence will ultimately lose life itself. On the other hand, Jesus has come to save us from this corrupted life. He has come to give us a new life, one that is free from sin, one that will be good forever. And therefore, those who give out this corrupted life now, for Jesus' sake, will gain true life. My friend, this is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the core message of Christianity. Uh, it is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that we know there are Christians in, in countries that are being persecuted. Uh, in countries like North Korea, in China, in many Middle Eastern countries that they will even give out their lives just to continue to trust in Jesus. It is for the same gospel uh, that our Malaysian pastor, Raymond Koh, uh, he was willing to proclaim Christ to everyone around him, even when someone sent a bullet to his home for doing so. Uh, he did not stop uh, preaching Christ to everyone of all backgrounds, of all races. Of course, uh, I know that most of us here most likely are not yet in a situation uh, where we need to risk our lives just to keep trusting in Jesus. Despite what happened to Raymond Cole, 
most of us will not need to risk our life uh, just to trust in Jesus. I'm sure most of us are like that. Or if I'm really honest uh, with myself, I think uh, most of us maybe have not reached that level yet where we are actually willing to lose our life. If I'm really honest enough, I haven't reached that level yet. But we do need to know that this Lord and Savior of ours is really worth us losing our life. Even though we are not there yet, even though we are not in that situation yet, we, did, we do need to know now that it's worth us going that far so that we can start making more sacrifices now. So that we can start making a bit more of the sacrifices that we should and we can and that we are able. For instance, those who are in full-time ministry, why do they give up a secure, secular job, a higher paying job to do full-time ministry? Is it because they know the value of preaching Christ to others? And not just in full-time ministry, but many of you here, Christians with regular job, many of you here choose not to spend more time outside in the office earning more money. Many of you here choose to labor more in serving the church. Many of you here choose to take on more burden, more stress, sometimes even more sorrow, just for the sake of serving other brothers and sisters in the church. So therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, let us be more willing to sacrifice a bit more now of the comfort and security in our life. Uh, we continue, may we continue all the way until that day when we are willing to even risk our life. Uh, because we know that we already have the true life in Jesus. Secure for us through Christ's own sacrifice for our sake. Uh, but at this point, now uh, I want to say that uh, for most of us here, uh, when we are being exhorted to sacrifice more for Christ, when we actually do it, uh, I don't think that our trajectory is that we will eventually die from serious illness. Right? I don't think so. Or that we will be kidnapped as we serve more in Christ. Uh, but I do think what will happen and what I've seen uh, in my experience is that when, when people start to be exhorted to sacrifice more for Jesus, what will usually happen is that you may feel overburdened. Uh, you might serve so much that you might even feel less joyful, even to the point of feeling depressed. Therefore, today now I want to say something more practical, something practical about how to sacrifice more for Jesus, but yet not become overburdened yet not become joyless. Uh, two quick things I want to say and how to sacrifice more and yet not become overburdened. Uh, first, I think you must not receive my words as mere words of man. But in my preaching, you should hear God speaking to you. Please, please do not do more gospel work for anybody's sake, not even for your pastor's sake. Please don't do more gospel work for anybody else, not to please anybody. Do it only for Jesus. When you're doing it for Jesus only, most likely you are responding with gratitude and joy. But often when you do it to please others, it is out of guilt. It is out of shame. Secondly, not only don't do it for other people, don't do it for yourself also. Why do I say that? Because usually when we want affirmation from other people, it is because we are seeking our own glory. What I do see there is that usually when we don't do it for other people, glory for our own glory, when we are doing it just for, in response to Jesus' grace for His sake, usually we know what our limit is. Usually we know when to rest 
Because Jesus said that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But the thing is that when we serve it for our own glory, when we say for ourselves, the burden that we place on ourselves are actually unbearable. You know, what suffocates us is not the burden that gives us. Give us. What makes us suffocate is a burden we give to ourselves that other people give unto us. Usually we find that we cannot meet that. We become less joyful. But when we serve Jesus more and more and more, I do hope that your soul will indeed find more rest and joy because he said that his burden is light. His yoke is easy. Uh, let us come to the second point uh, of our sermon. Uh, we see the second example. Uh, we see Timothy who seek the interests of Christ. Earlier we see in verse 25 that Paul says that it is necessary to send Epaphroditus that he's going to send now. But now in verse 19 he says, I hope so. I hope maybe more distant on a future date to send Timothy also. And then straight up he says the main reason for him to send Timothy. He says, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Uh, the main reason for sending Timothy is so that uh, by knowing the situation of the Philippians, Paul may be cheered, or in other translation, so that he may be encouraged by knowing about their news. So what kind of news that Timothy is to find out that will cheer Paul, that will encourage Paul up? Uh, it is related to what I said about Epaphroditus' purpose of going back. Epaphroditus uh, is to bring Paul's letter back to address the disunity among them. Uh, but how can Paul know that the Philippians have responded rightly to his teaching? They have resolved their problem through his exhortation. How does he know? It is by sending Timothy to find out. So when Timothy arrives at Philippi at a later time, he will go and discern and see how are they doing, whether they have resolved their conflict or whether they are still fighting. And then, like I said in the beginning, and then Timothy will bring that news back to Paul uh, before Paul himself visit the Philippians. Uh, and then Paul wants to do this because he wants, that, he wants to know that he has been resolved. He's confident that he'll be resolved. We can see in the letter. You know, it is issue. He hoped that he'll be resolved. He hoped that he knows the issue has been resolved before he actually goes to them. So that when he goes to meet them, it'll be a joyful reunion. So that when he goes, he doesn't have to worry about whether he, you know, he'll be, have to strict with them. He just go there knowing that everything is well. Uh, you see, Paul do a similar thing, isn't it, in 2 Corinthians. He said, I'd rather rebuke you with my letter, uh, not face to face. Uh, so that's what he hopes to achieve uh, with sending Timothy. And in verse 23, uh, he says, uh, the second reason uh, that he's sending Timothy, a secondary one, uh, it is to inform Philippians. Uh, he says, just as soon as I see how it will go with me, Right, you see, at the point of writing, Paul doesn't know whether he'll be executed, put to death, or he'll be free. But as soon as he found out whether he'll be free or not, he'll send Timothy first to inform them. And then, uh, he also knows that even though he's unsure now, it is confident uh, that he'll be free. And so he trusts that he himself will shortly go to them. So these are the two reasons why Paul sends Timothy back. Uh, and then Paul says that Timothy is the most suitable person for this trip, uh, especially in finding out whether the Philippians have solved their problems. And he said the reason for that why Timothy is so suitable is because in verse 20, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy is most suited to check on the Philippians, to check on their spiritual state because it is genuine concern for their welfare. Uh, this means that Timothy is willing to travel all the way to Philippi, not because he enjoying doing a spot check on them, you know, like your discipline teacher, or not because he's like a strict examiner who, who enjoys finding fault in people, uh, but because Timothy genuinely wants them to grow in maturity, wants them to be united again to strive for the work of the Lord. And then Paul says, on the other hand, there are others who are not like Timothy. <clears throat> in verse 21, he says, uh, these other people, uh, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Many of us may wonder, uh, who are these people uh, who seek their own interests only? Uh, most likely, uh, these people are those that was mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, they are the rivals of Paul. Uh, I'm not sure what, you've, what you have gone through when you went look at the chapter. Uh, most likely, these are uh, rivals of Paul who are missionary, who are preacher, but they have a different theological stance compared to Paul, uh, a different inclination. So they preach the gospel in order to cause misery to Paul, like as competition, uh, not for the sake purely, not purely for the sake of Jesus Christ. Uh, but whoever these people are, uh, what is Paul's aim? Paul's aim here is doing a contrast. Uh, he's saying that those people are, are maybe some for their own interests. But Timothy is really other person-centered. He's not doing for his own interests. He's really doing this for your good only. And then in verse 22, he says, You know Timothy's proven worth. How as son as a, with a father, he has served me well. Uh, we too know well as well that Timothy is, is the disciple of Paul, right? He is a spiritual son of Paul. Uh, he is like Paul who is super gospel-minded. He has helped Paul in establishing and care for many churches. And Paul says here that you know this, you know this fact already, uh, but still he wants to remind them of this fact. Uh, maybe if we think about it, uh, why does Paul need to once again recommend Timothy to the Philippines, right? Why why specify so much when they already know his proven worth? Well, think about the situation. What is Timothy going to do when he arrives? Right? He's going to check on their spiritual maturity to give them a mark on their spiritual state to see whether they've done bad or well. <clears throat> I think it's quite natural for the Philippines to feel a bit defensive, isn't it? Uh, or feel a bit uncomfortable. Or, or you know, doesn't want him to do that. After all, who enjoys being monitored and evaluated? Right? I don't think many of you enjoy being evaluated and monitored, especially by, by me, right? especially in the area of spiritual maturity. I'm sure many of us here, we have this natural defensiveness uh, when others want to check on us. Uh, most of us do not even like being propped, do not even feel comfortable sharing what we really think in our heart, whether what is our, really our true response towards God. Probably for some of us here, we might just think, you know, why should we, you know, butt into other, other people's life? Why not everyone just care for our own growth? You know, why should I probe others? Why others need to probe in whether I've responded to Jesus? Uh, if this is what, if this is you, think about, think about what Paul said here again in verse 20 and 21. He says that those who give you plenty of personal space, those who leave you alone to grow by yourself, probably they are those who do not care for you. 
those who give you space may be those who only care for their own interests. On the other hand, it is those who really care for you in the gospel who might make you uncomfortable. Uh, they make you uncomfortable because they want to keep you accountable in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's quite rare that I can produce a pun, so I'll say it again. Uh, they make you uncomfortable because they try to keep you accountable. Uh, now you get it. Uh, therefore, brothers and sisters, uh, I hope that you will not be defensive. I hope that you will not be defensive against those who truly care for you, especially those who really want to help you grow in Jesus Christ. Uh, try to accept them. Try to receive their help. Uh, I know church is not perfect. I know even in church there can be those who care for you for their own ulterior motive. There can even be those who care for you for their own pride. Uh, but I do believe that there are those in church who will show genuine Christ-centered care for you. Uh, if that happens, do not reject this blessing. Uh, we do need more people in church who is willing to open up to receive genuine care from others. Uh, we do need more people to be like that. But you know what, brothers and sisters? Uh, what we need even more are those who will show care to other people, isn't it? Uh, those are even harder to find in church. Uh, from my experience, it is very hard indeed uh, to have a natural, genuine care, care in Jesus Christ for other people. Uh, I say this honestly as a pastor for seven, eight years. Even now, it's not as if I have ounces of natural care, you know, just flowing out from me to care for you. I, I don't have, to be honest, you know. What I try to do every day, every year, is just to respond to God's grace, to, to do what God asked me to do. Uh, I care for people, care for Christians, for people under my care, not because it is natural for me, uh, but because God says it is good for them. It will be joyful for them. And hopefully it will be joyful to me also eventually. Uh, when I start just responding uh, bit by bit, I do find out that it does bring a lot of joy and grow in people's. And I actually are joyful in their joy. And that gives me more motivation uh, to continue. Uh, let me say a bit more about caring genuinely for others. Uh, so I hardly come to preach, so allow me to be, allow me to be a bit long-winded here, okay? Uh, uh, just three more short points about how to show genuine care for others. Uh, of course, the most important is to have a genuine care, right? The right intention. Uh, but I think apart from that, once we have that, it's also important to have a correct way of caring for others. It's also important to have a wisdom in caring for others. So three short ones. Firstly, uh, whether we should confront other Christians and try to correct them or exhort them should not be based on what we think is important. It should be based on what Bible says is important. Okay? Just think about it. Uh, so in things that are not important to God, we try to be forgiving. We try to be tolerating. Even things, if we really, we can't stand it. But God says it's not so important. Be forgiving, be tolerating. Uh, in things that the Bible clearly rebukes, even though in the area we are not perfect, we try to address them. Even though it is difficult. So what God thinks is more important, not what we think is more important. Secondly, when we try to help someone to make changes, uh, we should give them the right principle only. We shouldn't tell them exactly what they need to do. Right? 
tell them the principle, but never tell them what they need to do the next step. There are many different ways for one person to obey God's commandment uh, in the same situation. There are different ways for different people in the same situation. Okay, what, how we may do in this situation may be different for you in this situation. Okay, so we give them the right direction, but they always have to figure out their own steps. Thirdly, uh, we must start very slowly. Start slowly and able to continue to help someone in the long run. Often what I see is that very caring, very good Christians who invest themselves very intensely in the first few weeks and then when there's no progress after one month, they feel burnout. But from experience, it usually takes one to two months even for that person, the one who being cared. It takes sometimes even two months even for them to take one first stop, one first solid step. Uh, it, may, it may take two months for them to even listen to what you say in the first day and then change slowly. And then when they need further help, further advice in the fourth month or fifth month, you will feel too tired. You feel disillusioned. You will think that it's not worth helping. So remember, what they need is constant and gentle help for the long run and not intense help for the for first few weeks. So when you want to help someone, be ready for a half marathon. I'm not sure whether they run that half marathon for six months or one year. Don't think of sprinting 100 meters and then run out of energy. Finally, finally, okay? It's real final, okay? Finally, I want to say that uh, while there are some in church, they will reject other people's concern. On the other hand, there are those who want other people care a lot, like I said in the beginning of the sermon. Uh, those who want people to care for them, or do not, but they do not receive much. Or like I heard many times in my pastoral experience, when I encourage my members to care for others, they will say, Pastor, you asked me to care for others. What about me? I also need care, right? I also need to be pampered, right? Who is going to care for me? I think for these kind of questions, I can only say that uh, we all have very limited time, energy, and wisdom. Uh, which church does not have a lack of people who can care for others? Which church? You tell me, I'll go there straight away. <laughs> Every church is lacking, right? Therefore, I can only say that we, we can never expect humans to satisfy all our needs. Uh, in fact, before the kingdom of God fully arrives, uh, many good and godly desires like this will never be satisfied. But we do know that the grace from God is sufficient for us. Although we humans are very finite, God's grace is infinite. The salvation that God, that Jesus gives us is perfect. It's just that it ha hasn't been fully realized yet. So, if there are times where people do care for us, we embrace the blessing. Uh, we embrace the blessing. Uh, at times when we do not receive the care we want, we patiently rely on the grace from Jesus. Sometimes it's a very irony, isn't it? Uh, in, other, in areas that we don't want people to ask, they ask us. Uh, in times where we want them to ask us, they don't ask. <laughs> Sometimes you feel that irony, isn't it? What can we do? Right? We adjust our expectations. Whatever gap there is, we fill it up with the grace from Jesus. But all I can encourage you, everyone here, is that it's for you first to care for other people genuinely, joyfully, willingly, drawing strength from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, only that when we, when we respond purely to that grace, with our heart, knowing why we do it. 
then we can do it joyfully and not feel burdened and not feel that we have run out of, of steam. I want to tell you that even if one of you respond rightly, joyfully to the grace of God, even if one, if you just do it a bit more this month or this year, this church will be a better place, right? Even if just one, this world will be a better place. So let us encourage each other in this way, shall we? In conclusion, what we see in this passage are two Christians with the heart for Christ. Epaphroditus, who risks his life for Christ, and Timothy, who seeks the interest of Christ in others. Uh, both of them are actually imitators of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus sacrificed himself in order to save sinners, in order to build others up in the grace of God. And that's what these two brothers did. Uh, both of them are exemplars of Paul's teaching. Paul said in his letter time and time again, do not care for your own interests only. Count other people's interests in the gospel more important than yours. And Epaphroditus and Timothy are prime example of that for us to follow. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you indeed for the gospel that is filled with power to save and filled with grace, filled with comfort that our soul can indeed find rest. Our body may be aching, our body may be filled with sorrow, uh, but with our faith, pray, Father, that you pour into us more love and more comfort they may continue to be willing to sacrifice for you joyfully. Help us, fathers, this week, this month, this year, that we encourage one another with your words, with our actions for one another. We pray this in his name. Amen.